Welcome to the Project Her podcast, where we will look to help empower and build a resilience to the world around us. Come and discuss topics we tend to avoid due to social etiquette. Our Dear Listener section invites you to anonymously submit your experiences to share with our audience and create a feeling of togetherness. Join Chanel and Gemma and a host of special guests as we navigate the world of being a woman. So welcome to Project Her Podcast. And of course, we're here again. So excited. <laughs> and today, surprisingly, Gemma and I are in the same room. We're back together, ladies. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, very often we record very much across the country. So it's lovely to be able to do this in person. And we have our amazing guest with us today, Ashley Hey, hey. Hey, hey. I'm so jealous you're together. I feel like I want to be there with you. I'm so jealous. I know. And we are best with our British summer, aren't we, for the weekend? Yeah. It's so hot, man. (laughs) So taking advantage of it um, as we are. So we had a good day out and stuff like that. So nice. Um, But today's topic is going to be very deep dive as she's going to tell us a bit about her identity crisis and being mixed race living in Britain. Yes, we're going in deep, guys. Going in <laughs> deep. Um, but yeah, so actually I will we'll start off by just a little intro from yourself and then we'll grill you, basically. Okay, <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to that. We'll... Um, so my name's Ashley and I work in sports. I do most things sport related. Um, I also love kind of extracurricular stuff. So outside I take part in things like carnival, did my first pageant, which I met where I met the wonderful Chenille. Um, so I'm current first princess of Miss Caribbean UK. Um, and do my own podcast, Melanin and Me as well. So love the podcast vibe. yeah nice yeah and what kind of drove you to start that podcast tell us about it so actually we just had our one anniversary literally this week so we're super excited because it really came off the back of the black lives matter movement so my friend ray and i we both went to loughborough uni together and we knew we wanted to start something anyway to support black women and women of color and that was that kind of pivotal moment where we were like, yes, this is the moment, this is the time where we just wanted to open up conversations to support women like us, really. So we're really glad that we kind of took that leap because, as you know, it's kind of you think about it for a little while and then you're like, oh, I need to get this in place or do I? And you know what? It's been such one of the best decisions I think we've made um, because also doing it with a friend as well. It's, you know, it's a no brainer. It's like just great it's not a project it's just fun isn't it yeah sounds good but yeah tell us a bit what it was like being mixed race in Britain take us on that journey of young Ashley young Ashley young Ashley I don't think I really thought about the fact that I was mixed race until more recently I think when I grew up, because I was, so I grew up predominantly in Suffolk. So for those of you who don't know, it, it is pretty much a white population. You know, I was one of very few black or brown faces. So when I say a few, I mean like there were like two in my school. That's what we go with. So to everybody else, I was black. And I think I experienced my first 
racist experience when I was in year two. And I remember sitting in assembly, you know, you used to sit on the floor in like mm-hmm. in this halls. They always had a funky smell. Why do they smell? <laughs> it's the same place we did PE. <laughs> yeah. And eat dinner. Yeah. That's not hygienic. Like why? No. Yeah. So in the stink up hall and I was sat there and this girl in the year below me, because they were sat in front of me, she just turned around to me and she just went, I don't like you because you're brown. And I was like, oh, damn I am I was like oh okay this is a thing now don't be jail (laughs) yeah exactly and that was pretty much a shock and I just remember the teacher pulling us out because I must have obviously got upset or something and the teacher pulled us out and I remember she was fuming she was absolutely fuming she kind of compared us she got us both out together she was like some people have blonde hair some people have dark hair and like gave this whole comparison and was just grilling her and yeah, I think that was the first time that it kind of hit me that I was different. And I guess I already knew, but I didn't really know that knew that people would kind of then have that kind of hate, general hatred towards somebody just because of the colour of their skin, because it was obviously just something I hadn't considered. And then I used to spend most weekends with my grandparents in a town called Haverhill. And there was a guy there who was about 16. And I meant I was only young, young, maybe like eight or something. Yeah. And... Every time I used to walk past him, he used to just swear at me and he just used to like, he just had that kind of real natural, like, he just didn't want to be around me or whatever. And I was on my bike one day and he jumped over the fence and spat in my eye. He was obviously like waiting for me. And then he actually sent death threats into my grandparents' garden. And so it was, I mean, I was a tot, do you know what I mean? And some of this stuff I couldn't comprehend because I was so young. But then when I grew up, I started to, you know, kind of it sunk in a little bit more. And, you know, I had so many instances with teachers and peers and loads of different things. And I guess it's not till now that I really realised the impact it had on me. And what I found was that I was then like, I need to be around more people like me. And I went to uni and then I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, one of my housemates was a black girl from Nigeria. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Like, I've got somebody near me who's and it was the complete opposite because then it was like, oh, you're light skinned. Like, I didn't think I would like you. And I was like, hold on. What the <laughs> um, no, I wasn't expecting this. So there was that whole other layer and I've just been blissfully unaware of that, of colorism. I didn't even know that was a thing. So legitimately we got on like a house on fire and it, I think it was two weeks into our friendship and she said those words. She was like, I didn't think I would like you because you're light skin. And I was like, okay, this is something else I now have to consider. So I then didn't feel comfortable in certain circles. I didn't join the African Caribbean society because I realized there was a trend and certain people had different approaches to everyone has their kind of what they perceive to be as somebody who's going to be a certain way because of how they look. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a battle, if I'm honest. You know, I think the more that you expose yourself to different situations, you kind of learn how people interact because of everyone's a product of their environment. Right. So mm. if you lived in a place with it, which is, you know, predominantly white area or you know, you've lived in a place where those sorts of actions or things or behaviours are the norm, then that's how you're going to behave. So, yeah, I think it's definitely been a journey. Let's just say that. Considering there were probably 20 years between realising you were different to white people and then realising you were different to black people, 
obviously your maturity would have dealt with the situation differently but was it harder to come to terms with either of them do you think or is it different good question I knew that I had to mature very quickly I've always been a bit of an old soul Chanel takes the mick out of me because I'm not a social media guru she's like you don't have clubhouse what is that about but why do I feel like we have very similar conversations (laughs) she had to explain to me the use of a hashtag the other day (laughs) she's tried to walk me through a reel that was interesting yeah it's connected because I think you just you have to naturally kind of mature and you know I did feel very isolated as a not just as a child growing into adulthood because you know like even though you can have relationships and connections around you with people and so much love and I would always say that I have had a lot of love growing up but there is always that disconnect there's always that thing that's missing and I think that that kind of having to navigate your way through that and kind of learn how to kind of just be okay with who you are in different circles because I was literally the only brown face in my family in my household in my friendship circles on my sports teams and you know I play basketball so people would normally think oh you know that's a really black sport but it wasn't you know so it kind of makes you have to grow up quite quickly Whether I think one was harder than the other, I'd probably say the colorism aspect was harder because I expected that barrier with kind of the white and brown community, but I didn't know that that was an additional layer. So then I kind of felt like, where do I fit? Mm -hmm. And it's then like, well, if I'm not fully accepted here, I'm not fully accepted there, where do I go? And I think a lot of the time people say, I always have this growing up, oh, you're mixed race, you have the best of both worlds. And what people forget is you also have the worst of both worlds, you know. So, yeah, I think probably that one, I would say, was the toughest. I can get that fully. But how do you, like, being in that type of age, you know, because you're more mature, let's say, how was, did you find navigating battles such as, like, hair? Like, how you presented yourself and stuff like that? Because often people don't understand that in the black community, we're probably harder on ourselves well, we deal with racism and colorism and then not being black enough. But mm-hmm. I get a lot because I have a white boyfriend. People go, girl, you can't talk. I'm like, girl, shut <laughs> <laughs> You know, but so just like walk me through that because you say it's the toughest side. Walk me, really like, tell me what that was like and navigating with your hair being different and stuff like that. Yeah, my hair has been a journey. That is for sure. Like, I've had a really interesting relationship with my hair because I grew up and I remember just I remember my mum and dad bless them having to try and like style it before school and I'd always hate having my dad's days because he would just like brush it so lightly because he didn't want to actually try and get through the curl and he'd leave me with this like saggy puff like (laughs) like it wasn't slick and I was like oh for god's sake I've got dad today so mum took on the load most of the time, bless her. And, you know, as a white mum, that's tough because not just because of that, but because of the environment we were in, there were no hair products. There were no hair salons. There was nowhere she could take me. And there was like maybe a couple of places on some military bases. So I remember us having to go onto there a couple of times to go and have something done. But from very, very young, I knew that I was just so determined to have my hair straight. I wanted it, my hair straight. And don't laugh. I used to wear tea towels on my heads when I used to go to my nan and granddad's because I wanted the swish. 
like you know when girls skip and they swish their hair mm-hmm. I like I wanted that vibe so I used to do that and my mum got these ceramic when ceramic straighteners first came out I remember her getting the first pair and my days that must have roasted my hair just that smell of like bacon when you're like trying to straighten your hair it was awful and yeah so we tried we experimented a little bit and then I went I've met my dad from the Cayman Islands when I was about seven and I remember going over there when I was nine to the Cayman Islands and I went and had my first relaxer my hair was beautiful like it was so long it was like down to almost (laughs) so I was like I am Beyonce I was like I feel great and I also bought at the same time I had my first like disc player and I remember I bought the Destiny's Child album there was me rocking around like with this hair you can see it now so obviously it's like the creamy crack situation you know like as soon as you start on the relaxer it just becomes that normal I'm just going to keep going and going and going because I like the look of it being straight but obviously then we had the battle of coming back to the UK and having to find somewhere I could do it and all of that sort of thing so long story short I was just always trying to make my hair straight and I then went into the realm of weaves and I remember going to like get my first weave done because I kind of found out about it somehow. I don't know how. And me and my mum turned up to the salon and you could tell we were so underprepared. We didn't know what we were doing. So the woman was like, so where's your hair then? And we were like, oh, don't you have the hair? And they were like, no. So my poor mum, bless her, had to like run around Ipswich City, like trying to find this hair shop, lengths, colours. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. (laughs) So then I got onto the hype of that. Anyway, long story short, I then... I think it was this last year I then realized that actually I wanted I started to wear wigs and then my hair started to grow out and I started to see the natural curl that was coming underneath and I was like oh my gosh I love this curl like what have I been doing and I've just taught myself through YouTube I've literally just watched a hundred million videos on YouTube of how to style it and I've absolutely loved it because it just feel now it's like I'm not trying to hide or mask it like yes I can get braids or wear wigs or wear weaves or whatever but actually I now know how to style my hair and I think actually I really underestimated if I'd have had that and understood that from a young age I think I would have had a totally different relationship with my identity and also and just how I look yeah so yeah that was because of like the time that you were growing up or the location or do you think it was a combination of the both like do you feel like a young person now if they were growing up in where you did would they have more exposure to or do you think there's still a bit of a barrier? I think it's a combination I think natural hair is becoming more popular it's becoming more and I'm really it is the word yes yeah and I think I think that really warms my heart because like I love seeing all of the positivity around kind of the natural hair movement um and I still think there's a long way to go but I think it is a combination of, you know, where you are, because if you if you can't buy products, you can't buy products, you know. And and I think the fact that like for me, I couldn't even go into a hair salon and have a trim because I would have people turn me away and say, I, I don't know. I've never touched Afro hair. And obviously, there's been a great um, new legislation put in place yeah. with hairdressing now, which is brilliant because it's going to be, you know, mandatory for people to have to have that training. But um Yeah, I think it's a combination and also it's confidence, you know, for, you know, as a, you know, as a parent or, you know, as a young person growing up, it's kind of knowing that you can experiment and 
you know, put yourself out there to go ask for help or to find ways. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. How do you feel about like as representation and stuff like growing up? Because did you see much in the media of people that looked like you that you can say I can relate to that person or growing up? Apart from Beyonce. (laughs) Thank God for Beyonce. No, I don't think so. And I think when I look back to like who I was looking up to from a perspective of I was obviously always athletic and always loved sport and stuff. And I really resonate. I loved Kelly Holmes and I read her book and, you know, and there's kind of a few different people like that. That Again, now it's not till I'm this age that I realised that I was seeking that kind of somebody to look to who's actually like me. But at the time, I didn't consciously think, oh, you know, I can't see anyone like me. But I think that's why the kind of having straight hair mm. made me then feel well, actually then I kind of feel a little bit more like everybody else around me you know yeah yeah you mentioned that you met your dad when you were seven and then went over to the Cayman Islands when you were nine how was that interaction like maybe not just with your dad but with your, the society your dad was in over there yeah Caribbean is different isn't it <laughs> very different yeah I mean, it was obviously a shock to the system because you've grown up with your family and all of a sudden this person you're now calling dad. So that in itself was obviously a new experience for me. But I think having gone over there and I have a brother and sister over there as well, you then realise there is kind of another side to you and your identity. So in a way, it was exciting. I think I probably then was like yearning for it more after I'd been there the first time because I was like, oh my gosh, you know, these foods, this culture, this everything. I just love it. And it just felt more me, which is weird when you haven't been there till that point. But, you know, then I used to go over there every single year and I used to go out with my family. So with my mum and dad from the UK. And then I started to go over there independently from about the age of 13. And I used to spend like extended periods of time there over the summer holidays. And, you know, it just... I mean, the Caribbean's the Caribbean. Like, you can't deny how incredible it is anyway. But then when you know it's a piece of you, that in itself is just a very precious thing. So I'm still trying to connect to it further. And that was part of my journey through Miss Caribbean UK. You know, like, I kind of had that realisation that I loved taking part in carnival and stuff here. And, you know, that made me feel so wholesome. And then the pageant, I was like, it's completely out of my comfort zone. But it was more about the identity bit for me and knowing that I could connect with people like me and I would never go back on that decision because it was one of the best ones I ever made so and how did you find yourself like going through that journey like what were the ups and downs and roller coasters of that well the bio situation was definitely a downer Chanel is a really good mentor but she can make you cry at peak <laughs> times uh, tough love tough love. <laughs> that is the words tough love bless her <laughs> no good and bad I think for me obviously that I had the challenge of kind of balancing kind of my work and other activities around and I because of my natural competitive streak I don't do things half-hearted so I wanted to kind of put my everything into it and I think that because I also knew that for me it was more than just a pageant or a competition it was about it being about my identity I was like I think I wanted it even more because that gave me almost the permission to connect with the island so you know one of the real peaks for me was I remember a news article being put in 
loop came and news and I didn't even realise it was going to be published and I was like oh my god I'm in the news in Cayman I was like how weird is this and you know they were shouting about me they were proud of me and just seeing that actually and I got loads of lovely messages during my time as a finalist of people just willing to support me and you know people that I didn't know and obviously the island's really small so it's really easy to connect with people and when you're obviously over in the UK and also being mixed race as well, I think there's that other element of people wanting to dictate how you identify yourself. So if I were to say I'm Caymanian, some people might take offence to that and say, well, actually, yes, you were born here. Yes, you're half Caymanian, but you're not full or you're not living here or residing here. So I also knew that that was sometimes a question for people. But I think Ultimately, I knew that I'm me and I identify as I want to identify sort of thing. But meeting the girls was amazing. I remember affirmation session we did with Santrice. I really loved that. I got a lot out of that. And just having that space with all the girls to kind of sit down and break down kind of why you're in this and why you're wanting to do it. I think there's a lot of the time of stigma and this perception that pageantry is all about looks and it's presume that girls are a particular way within that industry and for me it did feel like a sisterhood and everybody was so supportive so I think that it was a lot more highs than it was lows you know I'd probably say you know being on stage and knowing that I was representing the Cayman Islands it was just incredible and it just made me feel so proud to be able to do something which was really connected to them. Goosebumps and that connection. I knew that was like, I'm just going to dig because I know this happened. So I want to hear it from you. Um, there was an occasion where it's music, wasn't there? About feeling a bit out of place with that. Yeah. Oh, the quiz, the soca quiz. Yeah, there was that. And there was actually another comment that somebody made that made me then aware that I was actually the only mixed race person in the process. Um, something around dancing and they were like oh you can dance better than me like it's a shock and I was like okay (laughs) so yeah the music was the quiz we had like we did soca music and it was my round to do that um, a playlist together and obviously for me I have kind of a very like limited I guess collection of soca because I know it through carnival I've got the music that I've danced to at carnival sessions and stuff before but you know, I don't know the old school, like the what you stereotypically would, you know, grow up in a household always listening to. So I think that when we were sat in those sessions where people were kind of reminiscing on even actually food as well, because there were certain phrases or types of food that other than your stereotypical, very like jerk chicken, rice, and peas, etc. Everybody um, think Caribbean, they go, oh yeah, jerk chicken, rice, yeah. only food we've got. Yeah. It's and I think the food you've got. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. It's pretty good. But then I was like, oh, yeah, I can't relate to actually growing up in a household where you've got that going on around you. So you kind of then are trying to, I guess I just took a sit, step back in those situations and just sat back, listened and almost just soaked it in and use it as a learning process. And I think that was one of the things I think you and I had a conversation, didn't we, Chanel? And I think I kind of expressed that to you that obviously I was aware of that, but it was around, again, everyone was really supportive and I don't, I mean, some people probably weren't even aware of it, but I think if people were, it was more, they wanted to help 
kind of support that education process because everybody was just at different places. And even on one of our podcast episodes, we did one of our topics was about growing up as a minority in the UK. And there was a conversation about households. And I just thought like, I can't contribute. Like I just can't, you know, contribute to that. But I think, again, it's just part of who you are when you grow up in that situation. And how do you find yourself now navigating at, you know, late 20s? How do you find yourself navigating and seeing your pathway for the future? I think just continuing to kind of focus on me and everything that I love about myself. I think just not being, I guess for me before, it was always, I was kind of trying, I guess, trying to look for who I was without actually consciously doing it. Whereas now I just feel like I know who I am. And I'm going to use an example again here. I always use this example, but it really was a specific point. Do you know what I'm going to talk about? No, I'm just going to wait. Turtle stew. The turtle stew was a big point. So Gemma, picture this. We're in a Zoom call on communication, like practice for the pageant. And one of the questions, so we're practicing what questions might be raised. And Chanel used the one about if you were to cook a dish for me, what dish would it be? And I'm thinking this whole time, like, what's the perfect answer? What's the perfect answer? So I'm trying to link it back to like my island and the national dish, which the national food is turtle. So I was like, oh, I'd cook you a turtle stew and gave this like what I thought was a perfect answer. And I think Chanel then kind of said something about that dish and I pulled a face and she was like, why are you pulling a face? I was like, well, I don't like turtle stew. And she was just like, so why are you going to cook it for me then? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, well, I don't know. And then I kind of opened up and I was like, well, I don't actually like cooking. And then she's like, okay, so why are you going to cook for me then? (laughs) And then I think it was a real turning point for me because as stupid as it sounds, that for me was the point at which I realized I wasn't trying to strive for perfection and this ideology of what I should be. And actually it was like, well, I guess Chanel made me, oh God, I'm going to get emotional now. Chanel made me feel comfortable in accepting like, no matter who you are, it's okay. Do you know what I mean? So actually you don't cook. So she's like, right, reword your answer. So, you know, well, I'm not going to do this, but actually I'm the type of person that will go out of my way to make somebody happy and whatever. So I'll go out of my way to go and get you some food or try and cook you a version of my favorite type of dish sort of thing. So in answer to your question about how I will continue to navigate going forwards is actually just continue to be authentic and not to look for what should this be. And I've taken that into every aspect of my life because, you know, now in my work, I'm a senior manager. So I have a team that sits beneath me. And I think when I first went into that role, which was ironically the same point I did the pageant journey, I had this, oh my gosh, I need to be this certain type of leader. This is what manager I should be. This is how I should act, look, behave. Mm. And actually, you just be yourself. Do you know what I mean? Every point I have a conversation with somebody who's I'm mentoring or I'm overseeing or coaching or whoever, I'm constantly trying to relay that message because I don't think you can ever go wrong in just being yourself and just being true to who you are. Well, it's just more authentic then, isn't it? Everything's going to be more natural and easier to do. And with that, we're going to thank you, Ashley. (laughs) I cry, I'm going, I'm off. The perfect way of closing it, you know, and... Yes. One of my questions I always ask is like, what's one piece of advice you'd give to somebody in your position? But I feel like you maybe just answered that. 
with any other yeah. advice. Yeah. I think I gave it. So with that, I'm going to say thank you for coming. And just because of the interviews that we've been doing lately, we've learned the quality of affirmations and, you know, knowing your self-worth and accepting yourself for who you are. And you've touched on that. So with that, I'm going to say each of us say an affirmation that, you know, resonates with us. And you can start off, Ashley. I am beautiful. I am worthy. I am strong. And with that, thank you for listening. (laughs) Well, thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope you do enjoy it. Just to let you know, we're always open and you're free to contact us on social media and give us tips or comments on how we're doing. You can find us on Instagram at Project Her Podcast or on Facebook, or you can email us at projectherpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Cheerio. Bye.